gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of Christian community, the gift of your holy word, and for this opportunity to study Exodus chapter 2 today. We pray that we would learn something new about you and about ourselves and about this wonderful story that you are drawing us into. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he said to the one who was in the wrong, Why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? He answered, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. The priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. But some shepherds came and drove them away. Moses got up and came to their defense and watered their flock. When they returned to their father rule, he said, how is it that you have come back so soon today? They said, an Egyptian helped us against the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, where is he? Why did you leave the man? Invite him to break bread. Moses agreed to stay with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah in marriage. She bore a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. It's really amazing hearing the word of God read out loud as opposed to reading it yourself. This is the first time this go round that I finally actually heard what I've been missing. It's so obvious in verse four, 
his sister is standing at a distance and watching. And so I stand corrected in verse seven, the sister does not appear out of nowhere. She is watching attentively and steps in at the right time. So I just want to correct myself there. To go back to the beginning of chapter two, uh, it starts with a man from the house of Levi who marries a Levite woman. Why all this talk of Levites getting married? Because that means that a pure Levite son will be born and that will become significant later on in the story as the Levites will be the priestly caste. And Moses, who foreshadows the great prophet to come, right, the great savior to come, uh, is a pure priest. Of course, uh, Moses himself will not be a priest. His brother Aaron will be the first priest, but it is significant that he is born of a priestly lineage, that a priest is also the savior and the one who stands up to Pharaoh. And so that's just a little tidbit worth noting. We recall last week that Pharaoh's policy is pretty ruthless. He enlists all of the Egyptian nation to look for any Hebrew male. And the verb that we're given is that they are to fling them into the Nile, to take the little boys and throw them out like the trash. And this boy's mom, knowing that policy, can't stand it. So she hides this baby as long as she can. And whenever she could not hide him any longer, she gets a papyrus basket and places him in the river. And one thing I want to note about that word translated basket, it's the same word as the word ark the same word as the vessel that Noah built. Now, the vessel that Noah built was significantly larger, but I think the point being made is the same, that this is a vessel of salvation, that in the same way that Noah was in an ark, and that's how he and his family and the entire animal kingdom survived the waters of the flood and the great judgment, something similar is being said about this child who is placed by his mother in an ark or a vessel of salvation. And so the mom leaves him in this ark, and we don't really know anything about her mental and emotional state, but I imagine she was full of grief. I mean, it's possible she was filled with faith and knew that God would deliver the child, but that's not in the text. And the sister is standing at a distance watching, and lo and behold, a woman comes down to bathe at the river, and it happens to be the daughter of the king himself who issued the decree that all Israelite or Hebrew males would be killed. And she sees the basket, and her maid brings it over to her. They open it up, they see a crying baby, and that natural maternal pity uh, fills them. They have compassion for the child. And then comes in the sister who's been watching from a distance in verse four and essentially says, can I go get a nurse for you? And goes to get the child's mother who nurses the child. And so this is a great moment of irony. Uh, you have some very interesting things happening, including the daughter of Pharaoh being a surprising part of the plot to keep God's story moving forward. Some of her maids and attendants, uh, Moses's own sister. But we recall last week that God worked through uh, Shipra and Pua, 
in order to keep the story of salvation moving forward. And, and this week, there's another kind of cast of characters whom God uses to continue to be faithful to his covenant, including Pharaoh's own daughter. And so the mother of Moses then has her son back and begins to nurse him and is paid to do so. Uh, we don't really know exactly what the mom felt. My guess is that she felt both great joy and great grief. I mean, probably joy, uh, but she also knew that it was a very sticky situation and that the time would probably come when she had to give the child back away. Uh, we're told in verse 10 that whenever the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. She had to give her son back away. And you know, Evie made a really good point on Sunday that Moses was probably with his mother uh, for a while, uh, because later on in the story, he will know his sister, um, he'll know his family members, he'll know enough about his heritage to recoil when he sees his own kinsmen being beaten. But at the same time, the Bible doesn't say how long uh, Moses remained with his mom. Um, obviously long enough to be nursed, but I think it's really hard to, you know, think that, uh, he, he, he got to stay too long. Um, and the scholar that I'm reading, uh, in order to kind of accompany this book is the Hebrew scholar, Robert Alter. And, uh, he really does seem to believe that Moses grew up as an Egyptian prince, you know, not just the cartoon. So, it's our guess how long he stayed with his mom, but eventually he went to live in the palace and he was given the name Moses of I drew him out of the water. The name Moses means he who draws out. And in the Bible, names are very significant. This name foreshadows uh, that Moses will be a future agent of God's salvation who draws out God's people from slavery. And so he gets the name because he was drawn out of the water, but he will be one who draws God's people out of slavery and into the land of freedom. And so one day Moses grows up, and again, we don't really know a whole lot about his early years. We don't know how long he stayed with his mom. We don't know what his sense of identity was. We can imagine that he had some level of privilege uh, living um, under the roof of Pharaoh with Pharaoh's daughter. Um, but one day he goes out to his people, verse 11, he went out to his people and he saw their forced labor. Um, one imagines that Moses was shielded from what he saw, or at least I imagine that for a season he was shielded from what he saw. It says that he saw their forced labor, um, that maybe what he experienced was a shock, especially when he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Um, and again, the Bible doesn't tell us, but based on verse 12, Moses looks this way and that, there really does seem to be an impulsive, angry response and a choice to kill this Egyptian and hide him in the sand. Um, so even now, Moses's role as a vessel of judgment against the Egyptians and as a savior figure for the Israelites is being foreshadowed 
but he's not doing it God's way. It's very important to note that the Bible does not commend this murder. It doesn't say that God told him to strike down this Egyptian. Moses looks this way and that. Basically, he tries to get away with it, tries to cover his tracks. He kills an Egyptian and then hides the body. And a couple of days later, or rather the next day, uh, he tries to intervene when two Hebrews are fighting. And basically, they ask him, who made you a ruler over us? Are you going to kill us as you killed that Egyptian? And so Moses knows that what he's done has been discovered. And the next thing we know, his grandfather, right, his adopted grandfather, the one who initially decreed that all males should die, uh, finally says, okay, I'm going to kill this kid. <laughs> uh, I I'm going to go ahead and finish what I started. We're going to go ahead and kill him. Uh, because he has killed um, uh, an Egyptian. And so this is a very interesting, weird scenario. Um, Pharaoh decrees that all the babies should die. Pharaoh's daughter takes pity on a little Hebrew boy and wants to bring him to the palace. Um, one wonders if Pharaoh ever warmed up to Moses at all. Uh, maybe he had a hard time saying no to his daughter. But one day Moses makes a big misstep and Pharaoh says, OK, this kid's got to die. And Moses runs away. He flees from Pharaoh. And this idea of fleeing from Pharaoh is important because God momentarily is going to ask Moses to confront Pharaoh. It's going to be a different Pharaoh because uh, this Pharaoh is going to die. We're going to find that out in the next chapter or two. Uh, but Moses is going to have to return and confront the thing he is running from. I think there's a good lesson for us there, uh, that often God's going to call us to go back to that thing that we are running from. Moses settles in the land of Midian. He sits down by a well. Uh, for those of you who are well-versed in biblical imagery, we know that a lot of interesting encounters happen by a well. In John chapter 4, it is by a well that Jesus meets that Samaritan woman and offers her living water. It is by a well that Jacob, running from Esau, uh, meets Rachel uh, uh, and uh, is introduced to, um, uh, to Leah eventually and kind of goes to be with Laban to um, have a, a family. And so a well is a significant place in Scripture. And uh, that is where he meets the seven daughters of the priest of Midian um, when some shepherds kind of harass uh, the young ladies. Moses drives them away, and then they eventually uh, take him in and offer him some hospitality. They go back to their dad, and the dad finds out what happens, and they basically go get Moses and invite him to break bread. Moses eventually marries one of the daughters, uh, someone named Zipporah, and so Moses marries a Midianite woman. Um, and I think that I just want to kind of highlight that because in the Old Testament, this idea of whether or not it's appropriate for there to be interracial marriages uh, is going to uh, be a recurring debate and theme. And at one point, uh, Moses's marriage uh, to Zipporah is going to become an issue for some people. Uh, but I think it's a very interesting little tidbit that he marries a Midianite and begins a family with a Midianite. And um, the Bible doesn't suggest this, but I, I think that it does foreshadow the 
eventual inclusion of the Gentiles, right? That the idea that even from the beginning, uh, that God is welcoming um, those who are not Hebrews according to the flesh. But that's just my reading of it. So in verse 23, uh, the king of Egypt dies. Uh, it's been 40 years. Um, I think we find that out uh, next week, but 40 years that Moses hangs out in Midian, in the land of Midian. And um, meanwhile, the Israelites are enslaved and they are groaning out to God. Uh, out of their slavery, their cry uh, for help rose up to God. I think this is the same Hebrew word that we get when Hannah rises in the temple um, uh, to pray. And it's a word that means thundered, right? So their cry is thundering to God. It's a loud thundering cry. And God hears their groaning. God remembers God's covenant. God takes notice of them. And this really is a big part of the story, uh, the fact that God is faithful to God's covenant. It's not that God ever forgot. It's not that God needed a reminder. Whenever we hear God remembering God's covenant, it basically means God will never leave us or forsake us. Yes, our faith is important. Yes, we want to do what we can to hold on to the promise. But whenever we are lost and our soul is thundering up to God, the point being made is that God will hear and that God will notice. And that this is true of your life. It's true of the people you love, uh, the people who might not be able to hold on to their faith in dark times. Um, we can be sure that God will notice us even when we can no longer notice God. And so God's about to intervene in the coming chapter and I think that really speaks to the character of God, which is going to be a big theme of the book of Exodus.